Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. The Linux operating system is a massive open source project that's maintained by millions of people for free. It's overseen by a foundation that is represented by large multinational corporations. And the goal of the Linux Foundation is to promote the development of the Linux kernel in whatever direction is deemed appropriate. So the idea behind open source is that nobody directly benefits from a contribution. So if I contribute to the Linux kernel, I don't get anything in exchange. Now, this general concept leads to the premise of, well, what if one of these corporations wants to try and alter the objectives of what the free, as in free speech, is intended to achieve? So this is just a general problem that we're going to try and lay out. So if you have the Linux kernel, it's an operating system used by literally billions of computers. And people. Your phone, if you have an Android phone, that's Linux. Billions of people use Linux, whether they know it or not. This technology is widely used by the entire world. And it's overseen by this community of people. And we don't want to ascribe motivations to these people. But generally, the idea of open source intends to create something that is beneficial to society. So... Who determines what is beneficial to society? And that general question is what we're going to talk about right now. And we're going to use the Linux kernel, which is the main piece of the Linux operating system, as an example of a project maintained by effectively a collective of people. Yeah, it's it's maintained by a collective of people, collection of, we want to say volunteers. The Linux foundation itself maybe helps fund it and set directions for Linux themselves. The Linux kernel organization is ran by individuals who want to see the kernel developed for the future for things like mobility, like your cell phones or computations and things like that. The question, though, is that with something that is so widely distributed and so freely available and, and widely adopted, is there a risk in the fact that people just take for granted that individuals commit code to this project and that there's a little bit, there's oversight, probably lots of oversight, lots of testing, whatever it happens to be, um, to check it, is there a possibility that the individuals that are checking in the code are also compromised? And it actually aligns pretty well with this idea that nation states would benefit from having backdoors or the ability to quickly break, you know, encryption or uh, be able to in- inject, you know, spyware or understand the intricacies of the operating system, not to maybe even inject the, the code, but know how it works from a fundamental level so they can actually get around it and find the zero-day bugs and never report them. Very similar to what happened with Windows, Stuxnet, right? They discovered a, um, a beautiful bug, and they were able to exploit it. And those are some of the questions that are raised when any type of software is developed. So Stuxnet is literal cyber terrorism, basically, where the U.S. and Israel allegedly developed a series of basically exploits that were installed on industrial computers used by Iran that were being used to enrich uranium. The exploits that were taken advantage of were in Microsoft Windows, and they were in bugs that were previously undisclosed, which speaks to some perhaps nation-state activity where Microsoft knew these bugs existed, and they told the CIA or the whatever entity created this alleged piece of software. So this is a literal example of nation states taking advantage of computer bugs to achieve whatever their imperialistic goals were. When we talk about Linux, we're talking about a community-maintained piece of software that has millions of lines of code 
around 30 million lines of code. And we're not suggesting that the foundation or really anybody that's part of it is doing anything maliciously. What we're talking about, this is a large project. How do we know that nation states are not interfering with this open source project or other open source projects that are widely used and disseminated throughout literally the entire world? Yeah, it doesn't have to be the latest kernel themselves. You could very easily get inside of a smaller project that manages traffic for millions of websites, Nginx or Apache. You know, it's rife for exploitation and not not just like I want free labor exploitation, but also the nation states coming in or commercial institutions coming in and essentially taking it over. You know, we're seeing a lot of work within the machine learning space or machine learning algorithms are now being bought and, and businesses created around them. So graduate students who used to contribute to open source projects are now basically starting their own companies and getting venture capital to have their their software converted into closed source companies. So things like speech recognition, pattern matching, imaging, lots of stuff within that space, NLP, natural language processing, is all being bought up and being siphoned away from open source. So we're going to talk about Linux specifically because it relates to our University of Minnesota example, which is both big news from a technology perspective, but it also made the rounds in local Minnesota media, which we have been closely following as a result of the Chauvin trial that we've been cataloging. The University of Minnesota effectively attempted to demonstrate that this exploitation of the Linux kernel was possible by literally doing it. So they published a series of exploitive changes that got accepted into the kernel, and then they wrote an academic paper about it. In their paper, they basically outlined what they did. Their process was what they called a hypocrite commit, where they did a series of commits that appeared beneficial and corrected some minor bug, but their collective introduced other critical bugs. So this was an intentional design where you introduce, let's say, four changes that are benign, but cumulative. Those four changes create a critical issue that could be exploited. We can't let groups of individuals in any one organization let them be perceived as individuals of, of purity because that's what this happened, right? It was it was assumed that a large university of Minnesota would never do something this bad. They received roughly a million dollars from the NSF to investigate some classification of bugs that are introduced. And the intent of this research is generally benign and intends to make the kernel better by eliminating errors. But what the research really points out is that it's difficult to know whether somebody is doing something maliciously by observing what they're doing. And you can have a, an entirely competent group of people, such as the people that review the Linux kernel, that simply don't have the capacity to look at everything at a like meticulous political level, effectively. Because if you introduce a series of changes, each individual one seems fine, but at a bigger picture, they introduce issues. The problem and the complexity of reviewing everything holistically is not feasible. It's technically almost impossible. And that's what the research was intending to fund, is how do you solve that problem effectively? And what the University of Minnesota research basically determined was, this is an actual problem that should be investigated because we actually did it. So this line of research is valid because we proved it can happen. If a university student can do it, then anybody can do it. We saw this this happening actually um, within hardware, where the where the CIA owned uh, hardware companies, 
for encryption. We see this um, within Apple's own discussion where they basically made iPods but had uh, uranium detection in it. So uh, it's not very hard for this to be co-opted in different ways and, and proven that with multiple lines of code and lots of distribution, this, this thing can happen. The process of open source management is rife with opportunities for exploitation. It's not widely acknowledged by a lot of people that use open source software. I think our opinion of this is much different than the general tech world because the general tech world was very malicious towards the U of M. They viewed it as a malicious action that was not academically ethical and widely panned what their department was doing and all those negative connotations. I think it's important that it happened because it, it overtly shines a light on this potential for exploitation. These students were attempting to essentially do research that was funded in a way that was beneficial to the group because now they're showing that there's flaws within the system. The Linux Foundation doesn't want to see this type of research tarnish what they are, which is supposed to be this perfect group, when really it's it's nothing close to that. It, it is a bunch of industry attempting to push the Linux Foundation in a certain direction while letting people contribute to the the, the overall goals of this. And to, sh- and to shine light on something that should be perfect means that people may question like we are or anybody else, you know, how well the foundation's doing or how well Linux is doing in general. The foundation responded by effectively writing an email to the authors and basically telling them to fuck off. But I think the key line is, our community welcomes developers who wish to help and enhance Linux. That is not what you are attempting to do here. So please do not try to frame it that way. The context of this is a little bit fuzzy because there's a couple other things going on here in this this email response. But the idea that publishing a paper about the exploitability of Linux is not helpful to Linux is kind of an interesting point of view. Yep. And the general outcome of this response is that the University of Minnesota is banned from contributing to the Linux kernel. And they're going to remove all previous commits. The removing of the all previous commits is actually fine. Banning the University of Minnesota in general doesn't make any sense. I think it's 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 just reactionary from a group of reactionary people. It's not well thought out, I should say. What they're trying to do is they're they're coming down harsh to prevent future groups from doing the same thing. And that's, again, to preserve the appearance that the Lynx Foundation is perfect because they're going to fear people walking away or fearing what's going to happen to it, which, again, from its own organization, is probably how it should respond. But from us in a free and open source idea, maybe not so much. So at a very basic level, this email response is an acknowledgement that a third party injected malicious code and the foundation and all of its reviewers and members did not catch it. Like that that's culpability at some level. So that's an acknowledgement that this objectively can happen. And I think the argument that the Linux Foundation is attempting to make or the kernel management people are attempting to make is that we can't have somebody that would do such a malicious thing interfering with our sacred project. But it misses the entire point of what the research is. The Linux Foundation, the Linux kernel organization are generally doing good things, but they have to know and they should know that the project is way bigger than their little community of people that care about this. Like there are nation states that want to take advantage of this and they can't retreat to their little ego box and say, oh, well, the University of Minnesota shouldn't do this because the University of Minnesota literally just proved that their shit is susceptible. 
this podcast is a little bit different than what we're, we've done in the past, and it's primarily because we're, we're trying to, to show or, or talk to the audience that contributing to something, even if it's ego-driven, it, it doesn't have to be a negative or positive. It's that you just are contributing. And so it is important that we always question how well our organizations are doing, because if not, you know, we, we end up with basically groupthink and in, in the organization can never move forward. And this is a prime example of doing something that on its surface appears malicious, but really establishes that perhaps this institution isn't as blessed as it is perceived to be by the general population. This is going to be true of your local political institutions, too. Is the local charity this blessed ground? Or are they susceptible to malicious action as well? Is your local city council co-opted? Is the sheriff co-opted? Are your political institutions locally susceptible to attacks like this? And I think the answer is going to be yes. This is just a prime scientific empirical example of this occurring. And you see the reaction from a well-established institution that has massive corporate funding to not look internally and say, yeah, we have a problem here and we need to address it. It's to say, nah, you're a bad actor. Yep. That you've tarnished us, right? You made us look bad. Yep. So a couple days later, after the ban, the authors of the paper and the University of Minnesota issued what was effectively a non-apology apology. And the key statement from the whole, I guess, press release or email or statement was, we did what we did, and then I'm kind of paraphrasing, we did that because we knew we could not ask the maintainers of the Linux kernel, basically, for permission. So in order to do what they did to prove that the Linux kernel is susceptible, you can't ask the Linux kernel for permission to do this. You can't, right? And they're correct because look what happened when they attempted to do it. They were proven right. Yeah. Basically, right? They said, oh, I'd like to do this. And again, and this is, again, the group thing. This is somebody's people who've been involved with this for 30 years. There can't be anything wrong with our blessed, beautiful organization. There can't be because if there was, you know, we wouldn't be here. So it's very difficult to do research like this without poking the bear. This line of research is very poking the bear oriented. It has to be. That that is what the research is. How do you how do you prove that something can be exploited? You just do it. That's the easiest way to prove that, right? Yeah, you just say, Hey bitch, I'm dunking on you. And then you deal with the consequences. Yep. The immediate consequences I I don't think are favorable to the University of Minnesota. At the same time, I, like I don't know that anybody cares. How can you care about this? I mean, unless you're really tuned in, you know, being that word technology or like technology, we just came across the article randomly. It's just a very funny story. You start digging into it. Perhaps another way to look at this, and we don't really know, is was this the result of whoever at the University of Minnesota being naive or stupid and unintentionally doing this and causing issues? We don't really know. They didn't intend to do this and they did it and they don't fully understand the consequences or the ramifications of their actions. But I don't think it really matters what their intent was because the outcome was that it shines a light on this group being exploitable. I mean, does it really does it really mean matter if the group was naive, think that that this wasn't going to be a problem or to think that they'd actually cause a change somewhere? No, the, the issue for the Linux Foundation is that they disrupted uh, the status quo. That's what it comes down to. This research was effectively a political action, whether it was understood or not. It was perceived as an attack on a major neoliberal institution that disrupted the status quo. The Linux Foundation and the Linux Kernel Organization are intertwined in capital's interest, and this research openly revealed that the bureaucracy surrounding the Linux kernel is fallible. The cost of exposing these vulnerabilities has a real short-term impact on the University of Minnesota, which is 
basically negative press. Whether this matters long term is a different question. Our hope is that once the dust settles and the reactionary statements give way to time, tangible progress can be made towards preventing the types of attacks raised by this research, which was the original intention of the NSF grant that funded this research. If you're willing to poke the bear and stand up for something and fight for something, be prepared for you know the bear to poke back. And that's exactly what happened here. These The students poked the bear, the bear poked back, and now what do they do? This is very similar to you being active locally or you being active at any, any level it is. If you're willing to go out and stir and cause some trouble, it will make a difference somewhere and somehow. If you want to run, email us at podcast at mercmovie.com. If you want to go to your city council meeting and just ask questions as to why you're funding these things or speak out at a chamber of commerce event or whatever happens to be, just know that if you poke the bear, sometimes the response isn't as fun as you'd hoped it would be. When you do something, there is ramifications. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.